0: Good boys and girls, welcome to the 2 Podcast. Today is Thursday the 28th of October. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network which allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geoblocked from while also keeping your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com, use the code EPLPOD, E-P-L-P-O-D to get 50% off at checkout you can instantly download the software onto your devices and get using it straight away libertyshield.com epl pod we're also brought to you by home of hopcroft a giftware and homeware company located in scotland but shipping worldwide check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and finally do remember to check out the epl index and anfield index shops which you can find on etsy they have their own shops as well online, but if you just download the Etsy app, which you should have on your phone anyway, search EPIL Index, Anfield Index, you'll get loads of good merch there. Right, folks, let's jump straight in. Big breaking news today, West Ham United are set for a new investor. Czech billionaire Daniel Kratinsky is considering a purchase of a minority stake in West Ham. He is expected to buy 27% of the club initially and may take a major stake at a later date. This spells the beginning of the Gold Sullivan Brady era. Massive, massive news for West Ham. Now, Kratinsky has a net worth of $4 billion US billion. That's an estimate, obviously. Uh, he is not the richest Czech in the world, but he certainly High on the list, and obviously West Ham in the last few years have built strong links with the Czech Republic, with Thomas Soucek, Vladimir Soufal, and Alex Kral being added to the team. I think West Ham have had to deal with a dreadful ownership situation for a number of years. I don't think Gold and Sullivan are as bad as Ashley, but they haven't always done well by the West Ham fans. I think there's still a lot of fans that were against the move to the new stadium. um, And they weren't really consulted or or allowed to voice their opinions on it. The move was made and that was it. The move away from Upton Park or the bowling ground, which was a historic home for that club, was quite controversial. Uh, This move values West Ham Football Club at about $700 That may seem low for a Premier League club in London with a big fan base and a lot of history. But remember, they don't own their own stadium. So there is no stadium asset to sell along with the club. Uh, It is just the, the club that you're buying. But hopefully we hear more on this in the next few days. Really big scoop there for the Athletic. And I think West Ham fans could well be getting very excited quite soon. He's not the billionaire that you want to come in and spend Manchester City, Chelsea types of money. He doesn't have that type of wealth. He's more the John Henry type of billionaire. He's got that type of net worth. But he's still a very wealthy man. He's still a man who is going to take things away from the Golden Sullivan uh, ownership, which I think is important for West Ham and for their fans. I think a lot of their fans have had more than enough of that ownership group. And certainly they've had more than enough of Jim White and his condescending preaching to West Ham fans. Other big news today, the flight organizer in the Emiliano Sala death has been convicted over the safety of the aircraft endangering the safety of the aircraft craft uh, david henderson of hotham east riding of yorkshire was found guilty after a trial at Crowd of cardiff crown court he had previously admitted to trying to arrange the flight for passenger without permission or authorization it took a jury seven and a half hours to convict him he will be sentenced on the 12th of november by a majority verdict and uh, sorry, he he was convicted by majority verdict. He will be sentenced on the twelfth of November. Um, lawyers speaking on behalf of Salah's family said his conviction was welcome, but that this was only one piece of the puzzle of how the plane came to crash. Salah and pilot Mr. Ibbotson died after the single-engine Piper Malibu, which sounds like a drink, plunged into the English Channel on a flight between Cardiff and Nantes. In January 2019, the footballer was involved in a £15 million transfer and was travelling between the two cities at the time of his death. Uh, The court heard that the pilot who regularly flew for Henderson did not hold a commercial pilot's licence, a qualification to fly at night, and his rating to fly the single-engine Piper Malibu had expired. Henderson had asked the pilot to fly the plane as he was away on holiday with his wife in Paris, so he should have been flying the plane himself. Um, it's good that he has been punished for his actions, but none of this does anything to help the family of Emiliano Sala. And that that is one of the, the darkest days that I can remember um, for the Premier League as news broke that the plane was missing. And then the search that followed, it was absolutely horrendous. Uh, Moving on. Barcelona have fired Ronald Koeman after the defeat to Rayo Vallecano last night. He spent 14 months in charge, and they had picked up just 15 points from their 10 La Liga games. Already lost twice in the Champions League. And his sacking has been rumoured for months Uh, Early reports are that Xavi will be the one to replace him, but there may be an interim coach in the meantime. I think this is a mistake. I really do. I think Barcelona are in a position where they probably have a two- to three-year window here where they're not going to be competitive, where what they need is somebody who can get them into the Champions League in fourth place, get them through a group stage, and continue to bring in high amounts of commercial revenue while spending as little as possible on the wage bill and as little as possible on transfers. They have got to get that debt down. Now, they have agreed to take out a €1.5 billion uh, loan to cover that debt, but all it does is kick the debt down the road and add more to it because the interest on that type of loan is going to be staggering. Staggering. Barcelona are the worst-run club in football. The worst-run club. And if you ever want an example of why... Fan ownership doesn't work. You need to look no further than Barcelona. Uh, Bayern Munich, normally the model club, the club that everybody looks at and thinks, I'd love my club to be run like them. They lost 5-0 to Borussia Gladbach last night in the German Cup. Their heaviest defeat since 1978. Kone, two from Ben Sabine and two from Briel Mbolo, uh, who also had an assist, gave... Glad back their win. They were 3-0 up after 21 minutes uh, as Bayern folded like a cheap suit. And this is not like a team where Bayern had a weak 11 out. Manuel Neuer, Benji Pavard, David Upamecano, Lucas Hernandez, Alfonso Davies, Joshua Kimmich, Leon Goretzka, Serge Gnabry, Thomas Muller, Leroy Sané, and Robert Lewandowski. That is their best 11. That is their best team. And they got absolutely spanked. And the best part is. Gladbach didn't have their best 11 out. They were missing a couple of players. So. Shocking result. Absolutely shocking result. In the German Cup last night. In the English Cup. The Carabao League Cup. Chelsea beat Southampton. On penalties on Tuesday. Arsenal beat Leeds the same night. And QPR beat Sunderland last night. Brentford beat Stoke two 0 in Stoke. First half goals from Sergi Canos and Ivan Tony put them two up. Stoke were dreadful in the first half by all accounts. Romain Sayers with a consolation on fifty seven. Stoke just not good enough to find a second goal. West Ham nil, Manchester City nil, and West Ham through five three on penalties. City's dominance over the Carabao Cup comes to an end. Uh was largely a second string City team, but they did start Kyle Walker, they did start Kevin De Bruyne, they did start Ilkay Gundogan, they did start Riyad Mahrez and they did start Raheem Sterling. So they had a strong team out. John Stones and Nathan Aké at centre back, 90 million for the pair if you don't mind. Zinchenko at left back has been left back in a title winning team. Fernandinho is no longer the player he was, but he's still a good player. And then Cole Palmer up front is one of their big prospects. Uh, Gabriel Jesus, Jack Grealish, Joe Canseo, and Phil Foden all coming off the bench as Pep tried to win that game. When you look at the West Ham team, they had rested more players. They started Ariola, who hasn't been the first-choice keeper. Johnson has been the left-back of late. Um, he remained in the team, as did Aaron Cresswell at left-back. Um, Johnson has been filling in for Sufal at right-back. Dawson and Diop came in for Zuma and Ogbonna. Noble came in for Rice. Vlasic, Lanzini and Masawaka all came into the team for Bowen, Fornals and Benrama. And then Yarmolenko started up front in place of Mikel Antonio. Uh, Soufal making his return from injury off the bench, Fornals off the bench, Bowen off the bench, and Benrama off the bench. West Ham threw on penalties. Uh, Mark Noble, Jared Bowen, Craig Dawson, Aaron Cresswell, and Said Benrama all scoring. Grealish, Gabby Jesus, and Canseo scored for City, but Phil Foden missed, and City go out in somewhat of a shock. Leicester 2, Brighton 2. Leicester threw 4-2 on penalties. Harvey Barnes had put Leicester 1 up. Adam Webster in the third minute of stoppage time in the first half made it 1-1. Adam Adamola Luckman in the fifth minute of stoppage time in the first half made it 2-1. And then Enoch Mwepu with uh, his first goal for the club on 71-2, sending it to penalties and in the penalty shootout, James Madison, Harvey Barnes, Patson Daka, and Ricardo Pereira all scoring for Leicester. Pascal Gross and Alexis McAllister scored for Brighton, but Neil Mope and Enoch Mwepu missed their penalties. Mwepu from hero to zero in that one. Uh, Leicester through Brendan will be thrilled. Liverpool 2, Preston North End nil. a dreadful first half from the Reds, but they came on better in the second half. Taki Minamino with the first goal, tapping home from a Nico Williams cross. And Divock Origi with a contender for the Puskas Award. A backheeled lob from about six yards, played like a chipped golf shot with backspin. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it. It is remarkable. Whether he meant it or not is another thing. He seemed to try and make full contact with the ball and maybe catch it full on the face and power it into the net. But he caught the underside of the ball, lifted it over the goalkeeper with backspin and into the net. A remarkable goal from one Divock Origi, Champions League final goal scorer Divock Origi, if you don't mind. And finally, Tottenham won Burnley nil. Lucas Moura with the only goal. A strong Spurs team, it must be said. Uh, Emerson, Romero, Davinson Sanchez and Ben Davies at the back. Heusberg and Skip continued in midfield. Hill, Laselso, and Bergvine all behind Harry Kane, with Ndombele, Mora, Son, and Joe Roden coming off the bench. Um, a little bit more change from Burnley. Nick Pope did start. Conor Roberts made his debut. Uh, Collins started next to Ben Mee at centre back, with Eric Peters in at left back. Goodmanson, Brownhill, Cork, and McNeil in midfield, and Rodriguez and Vidra. Up front, Chris Wood, Ashley Barnes, Aaron Lennon, and Max Cornette coming off the bench. When you're bringing on Aaron Lennon, with all due respect, your squad is not strong enough. So, Chelsea, Arsenal, Sunderland, Brentford, West Ham, Leicester, Liverpool, and Tottenham are the eight quarter-finalists in the Carabao Cup. The draw for the quarter-finals will be made Saturday morning on Soccer A.M., I think all the Premier League clubs will be eyeballing Sunderland and thinking that's the draw we want. Uh, With respect, they're a League One team. Any Premier League team should beat them fairly comfortably. But it is a cup and things don't always go that way. Um, Who would have thought that Southampton would have taken Chelsea to penalties on Chelsea's home turf? Who would have thought that West Ham would have knocked out City? I suppose that's what happens when City don't get League Two teams all the way through to the semi-finals. Uh, We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, it is question time, so I'll see you in a moment. Right, folks, welcome back. So, let's jump straight into the questions. These ones are from Mikel Campbell. Um, Which players would you advise PSG to sign next summer to improve the balance of their team, considering Mbappe will be leaving at the end of the season? Okay, so... I look at their squad and I see... Obviously, immense amounts of talent. It's a ridiculous squad that they've spent enormous money on. But I see a team that's probably best suited to playing a back three, even though my belief is they don't have three competent centre-backs. So one of the focuses would be on getting that sorted out. Now, what I would suggest is you've got Donnarumma in goal. That's ideal. And you've got Kaylor Navez as the other goalkeeper. So you've got two really good goalkeepers, two of probably the top 12 goalkeepers in the world. So you're absolutely fine there. Marquinhos is by a country mile your best defender. He, it's not even close. He is a sensational centre back. And I think in a back three, he would be best suited in the middle of that back three, organizing and leading. And I would say Sergio Ramos can be the backup to him. Left side centre back, I'd look at. You could look to buy somebody. That would be obviously the first place. But I do like Abdou Diallo. I think he's a good centre back, especially in a three. And Presnel Kimbembe, who is talented but really error prone, I think he could be a good backup there. On the right side of centre back role. Tilo Carrera is a fine backup. He's not a starter for you. So you need a right-sided centre-back in that three. So that's one position. At right wing-back, you've got Ashraf Hakimi, one of the best in the world in that position, an absolutely fantastic player. You've got Colin Dagba, who will be a fine, serviceable backup, um, who came through your academy. At left wing-back, You've got a great option as well in Nuno Mendes. You've got the option to buy. You'll definitely take that up. And he's an outstanding footballer. So you've got great wing backs. A backup to him. You've got a couple of options. You could use Juan Bernat or you could use Kurzawa. Either one is fine. No real preference between the two. Um, but I would suggest moving on the other one. In central midfield, you've got Ferrati, who's great. And I think I think Paredes is better as a backup to him than a starter with him. So I would have Paredes as a backup. I would start Ginny Winealdum next to him. I think Ginny Winealdum's a really good player. I think next to Virati, I think that's a partnership that could work really well. Then I've got Herrera, Idrissa Ganagay and um, Danilo Perea as other options in midfield. So I think I'm strong in that area. Up front, you've obviously got Messi, and you've got Neymar. As backups to them, I, I think you'd obviously look at Di Maria as one, Draxler as another. He's at a contract in the summer. Rafinha is another option there, but he is injury-prone. But I think you keep both of them and have them as backups. So Messi starts on the right of your front three, Neymar on the left. and The backups to them are Di Maria for the right-sided role, Draxler for the left-sided role. And then you keep Rafinha just as an extra one, as and when he's needed. You'll need a number nine because Mbappe is leaving. Um and then you have a Cardi as a backup to whoever that number nine is. So I think you're needing all you need really is a number nine and a right sided centre back. And you are Paris Saint Germain, so you do have all of the money uh with which to play with. Now I I think the right sided centre back should be fairly open and shut for them. They can go whichever way they want, but I would be looking at Jules Koundé. He is, I believe, the best French defender right now. I think he's a top six or seven centre-back in the world. And despite the fact that he is only 5'10", 5'11", he's a dominant centre-back as well. I think if you go Koundé, Marquinhos, Diallo as a back three... With Carrera, Ramos, and Kimpembe as your backup three, I think you're in a really good position. Now, in year two, so summer 2023, I'd probably look to move on Kimpembe, drop Diallo into that backup role, and look to bring in a starter in that position. If we could get Lucas Hernandez at a Bayern Munich, I'd I'd probably go for him. But I think Kunde, Marquinhos, and... And um, Diallo would be a really, really strong back three. So then I need a number nine. And I want a number nine. I want a typical out-and-out number nine. I've got great wide players in Hakimi and Mendes who are really good crosses of the ball. So I want a focal point. I also want somebody... That Messi and Neymar can play off. And it reduces the need for them. To be playmakers. Because sometimes I can just bypass them. Go with the pace I've got out wide. And get the ball into the box. Because sometimes it's just that simple. And the one I would go for. Is Dusan Vlaovic. I think what we've seen from him. At Fiorentina. Is a player. Really well rounded. Maybe. Maybe not the all-round package that a Haaland is. And I know Haaland has been linked. But Vlahovic has a lot of similarities to him and a little bit more nuance to his game. And he may well be a better team player than Haaland. He's got seven goals in 11 games already this season after 21 and 40 last season. I think you put him into PSG in the French League, and I think he's getting you 35 to 40 league goals Per season, He's a really good finisher and a really versatile finisher. And I think having him as a focal point of your attack will get more from Messi and Neymar than, say, playing with someone like an Icardi who's more just a finisher now at this point in his career. Or by bringing in... I mean, you could look at an Adeyemi, but I I want Messi and Neymar to be able to play off that player rather than them to be kind of having to set everything up for them, I'd like that number nine to be able to set things up for them as well and get them some easy goals. Um, because you want to save them for the Champions League. That's why it's really important that you keep hold of Di Maria. And even though he's been somewhat of a disappointment, I would keep hold of Draxler because it saves me having to go and buy somebody else. So that's what I would do. I'd buy Jules Kunde. And I would buy Dušan Vlahović, two young players, and then I'm I'm also building a young core with this team. Donnarumma is young, um, Kunde is young, Di- Diallo and and is in his mid twenties, and Marquinhos is late twenties. But both wing backs are young, a little bit older in centre midfield, and I'm fine with that because they'll manage games. But in attack, I'm quite old as things stand. I bring in that younger striker. Now they've got Mbappé; he's the youth there now. But you take him out and put in a 30-year-old. You put in a Lewandowski, for example. It's a really old group of players up front. Like Icardi would be the youngest. and I think he's 28, 29. So I would go Vlahovic. I think that. And then you factor in, they've got one of the best academies in Europe. There's just a streamline of talent coming through. And as that talent appears in midfield, you can move on Herrera Ganagay and Pereira and get whatever money you can. As the centre-backs appear, you move on Sergio Ramos, you move on Tilo Carrera, you move on a Kimpembe and maybe a Diallo and you replenish that with the young players you've got coming through. Make a real pa- a pathway to the attack and the same goals, that, to, to the first team rather, and the same goals in attack. As young, highly talented attackers appear, you move on your Di Maria's, you move on your Draxler's and your Rafinha's. Like, how much better would they be right now if they had Christopher and Kunku as a squad player rather than Julian Draxler? Kunku could play in the league. Two-thirds of the game in the league, you can rest Neymar and play him in the Champions League. Like, that to me seems like something that you would want to do is to rest Neymar for the Champions League games when... You really do rely on him and you need him to be at his very, very best. The same goes on the other side. Wouldn't they be better with Moussa Diaby? Like, there's another excellent player that came to their academy that they sold on without ever really giving him a chance. And there's so many others. If you go and look at their academy and look at the list of players they have brought through over the last 10 years or so, it's it's staggering the talent that they've had there. It really is. Like just to give you some names Adil Awachi uh, Awachichi, he's really talented. Arthur Zagra, good left back. Yassin Adli, one of the most talented young players to come through. Uh Stanley Insocki is a talented player. Timothy Wea. Jonathan Ocone, he's done brilliantly since moving on. Nkunku I mentioned. Jean-Kevin Augustine. I know he hasn't always done brilliantly, but he's he's a really talented player. Uh Kingsley Coleman, one of the first ones to come through in this newer batch. Him and Rabio came through the second year, it was the same the same kind of time. And they both ended up leaving. Both ended up leaving for free. Um Bubakari Samari, like he he could be starting for them in midfield. The talent they've brought through since 2012. There's just so much of it. And it's so talented. Tango Nianzu, who's a centre back, currently playing for Bayern Munich or in the Bayern Munich squad, he's one they should should have kept. Like they do have a bunch right now Pimbele, Fadiga, Ruiz Atil, Javi Simmons. These are players that could make the grade but need to be given opportunities and worst case scenario worst case scenario couldn't they just be really good squad players for your club because I think they could I think they could be really really good squad players for your club but PSG do not give young players that opportunity so that's the the other change I'd make and I know you didn't ask that but I kind of went away on a ramble Uh, Klaus Topmuller's Sorry, if Klaus Topmuller's 2001 2002 Bayer Leverkusen team went up against you and you, Pinkus's 2011 2012 Bayern Munich team, which team would win? Which of these teams would you say was the biggest disappointment considering the fact they finished runners up in all competitions? It's Bayern and it's Bayern by a mile in terms of disappointment because nobody expected Leverkusen to have the season they had, they weren't expected to win the title, they weren't expected to get to a champion to win the Champions League. For them to finish second and get to the final uh, was absolutely brilliant. Now, if you look at the teams, the Leverkusen team, Hans Jörg bought in goal. Good goalkeeper, not a great goalkeeper. Bayern had Manuel Naur. At right back, Zoltan Sebyshin versus Philippe Lamb. At centre back, you had. Zivkovic and Lucio against Boateng and Timishek who was filling in. Timishek wasn't a first-choice centre-back. He was a midfielder that got moved back to to help out. You would go Boateng and Lucio as the centre-backs. Uh, at left-back, the same, Diego Placente, who's, who I really liked, and Diego Contento, who I didn't. I would say defensively, it's two and two. Uh, in midfield, Schweinsteiger and Cruz Versus Karsten Ramelow and Bern Schneider. I would say it's both the Byron guys. Arjen Robin, Thomas Muller, and Frank Rebery versus, um, Michael Ballack, Thomas Bitterich, and, uh, Yildare Turk. You would take Balak and you would take the two Byron wingers. So we have three Bayern players, three Bayer Leverkusen players that I think would make the team. Because up front, Oliver Nouvelle, it was not as good as Mario Gomez. So Mario Gomez would be the striker. Actually, what you would do is you'd play Thomas Muller as your nine with Balak behind, Robin and Rebery, Schweinsteiger and Cruz, Lam, Boateng, Lucio and Placente, and Narrow would be in goal. I think Bayern would beat that Leverkusen team. I and mean, when you look at the benches, Juric, Babic, Kleine, Vranchez, Zaka, Ulf Kirsten, who was actually a decent player, and a young Dimitar Berbatov, whereas the Bayern, the Bayern bench hilariously had Hans-Jörg bought from that Leverkusen team. Daniel van Boyten, Rafinha, Usami, that's actually a bad bench, Pranic, Niels-Peterson, and... Ivica Olic, that's actually a very weak bench for Bayern Munich to be fielding in a final. They may have had some injuries. I can't be bothered looking it up. But um, I think you'd take Berbatov, but the rest you'd probably just keep the Bayern group. I think Bayern would win that game comfortably. And Bayern are the bigger disappointment because in that final, Bayern were at home in their own stadium against a bad Chelsea team. That was. That Chelsea team, Drogba up front was towards the end of his career. Towards the end of his, his best spell. Ryan Bertrand was the left winger. Solomon Kalou was the right winger. John obi Mikel started in midfield. Gary Cahill and D- David Luiz were the centre-backs. That's not a Champions League winning team. Petr Cech, fine. But they moved on from him very shortly after that. Ashley Cole was coming towards the end of his best years. Lampard was past his prime. Juan Mata is the only really good player still in their prime in that Chelsea team. You know, you look at the bench. Ross Turnbull was the backup keeper. They'd be right back. He was past his best. Ferreira, he was past his best. Michalessian had had the knee injuries, was past his best. Aurel Romeo was just a young player that they stuck in the bench because they were short. Uh, Florent Malouda was, was still very good around that point Torres was a finished entity by then I know he'd scored in the semi-final but he, that was a shell of himself and Daniel Sturridge didn't come off the bench but he probably would have been an improvement on some of what did um, I, I Bayern should have wiped the floor with that Chelsea team but the, the occasion got them they were the better team they scored in the 83rd minute and then coughed up a goal a couple of minutes later you don't see that happen with Bayern teams um, and then, obviously, they missed the two penalties. Olic and Schweinsteiger uh, missing. Juan Mata had missed for Chelsea and given Byron the upper hand, and Byron threw it away. So, I would say Byron were the disappoint- bigger disappointment. I would also say they would comfortably beat that Leverkusen team. Um, so, that's those. I hope that answers those. Thank you, as always, Mikhail. Do appreciate them. Um, Ragav asks, You wouldn't have Aubameyang in your best African players? I did this thing last week. No, I wouldn't have him in my top 10 African players in the Premier League. Um, I just don't think he's there yet. Talent-wise, absolutely. Career-wise, absolutely. But not not based on what we've seen in the Premier League. Not when you look at last season. Like, he's a great player, there's no doubt. But, you know, I need to see him perform at a really high level for a little bit longer. Those guys I put in performed for... Some of them now, admittedly, were... I picked JJ Kocha based on the fact that I just loved watching him play. I would rather watch him play than watch Obamiang, and that's kind of what that came down to. Um, okay, Steve P. All this talk of Ollie and him being a former player and getting too much protection in the press got me from the likes of Neville got me thinking. Which former players have been good coaches at the teams where they played? So for example, Kenny makes the cut as he managed Liverpool, but Ferguson doesn't as he never played for Aberdeen. Venables doesn't either, but Graham. George Graham does. A notable miss would be Matt Bilby. Okay, so what he's got here is he's got a list of bad coaches who manage their team. Lampard, dreadful manager. Giggs, caretaker. Yeah, he was doing okay with Wales until things went haywire for him in his personal life. Uh, Ollie, bad manager. Ozzy Ardila is bad manager and was dreadful at Spurs. Graham Souness was a decent manager at Rangers and a decent manager at, like, Southampton and Blackburn and, I think, Galatasaray. But the Liverpool job was too close to home from – he wasn't ready for it either. He needed more experience and he needed Walter Smith with him. Walter Smith had been kind of the the more managerial ready of the pair when they were in Scotland together. And I think getting him without Smith was a mistake. Um... So, Southgate played for and managed Middlesbrough. I think he's a bad manager. I think he's a bad manager. Uh, Arteta played for and managed Arsenal. There's clear flaws. He's got this down. as medium not proven clear flaws or not managed their team yet. So, he's got Arteta. I think, yeah, massive flaws, I'm not overly sure. Hoddle was player manager at Chelsea, but obviously... His main career was Spurs and, Spurs and Monaco. He, he didn't manage either of them. But he was a good manager for England. I will give him that. I think he, he did a bit as well for England as, as anyone has done. Um, Alan Pardew, I think he's a poor manager. But yeah, you'd put him in the medium category because he's better than the likes of Lampard. Vieira hasn't managed Arsenal yet, but... The early signs are promising. He's just, like you say, not proven. The two Nevels, Phil is the, the better manager, but I don't think either of them are going to be good managers. I think Phil is a good coach, but I don't think he's a strong enough personality to be a manager. And then you've got Gerard. There's still large question marks over Gerard. He's done well in Scotland in the last year and a half after two fairly underwhelming, disappointing seasons. Uh, for excellent, then he's gone with Dog Leash, Jock Steen, Diego Simeone, Antonio Conte, Zidane, George Graham, and Bobby Robson at Fulham. Um, I would add Capello to this list. Uh, um, I would add Carlo Ancelotti, key part of some great Milan teams, and then obviously a two-time Champions League winner. Um. Capello played for Milan and managed them, and obviously is one of the greatest managers of all time. Conte and Simeone are the two that really, like, obviously, Jock, I mean Jock Steen is one of the greatest British managers ever. Kenny, in his first spell at Liverpool, was outstanding. Um, I would add Guardiola to the excellent. Barcelona, obviously. Uh, I would put Luis Enrique... A be, above medium not excellent he's a good manager I, I think that's where you'd put him um, is Luis Enrique in that kind of group um, Hansi Flick I mean again I don't think he's excellent because there's not enough of a track record but he played for Bayern in the 80s and obviously managed them up until recently so I do think he's worthy of, of mention there um The question, based on the lists and any obvious gaps or errors, should clubs avoid appointing former players as managers like the plague? Does the baggage of being a legendary player make it too hard for mere mortals to manage where they once danced in the grass? Yes, I, I, I think so. I do think so. I think oftentimes, especially with great players, they struggle to understand when the players they're coaching can't do what they could do. I think Beckenbauer spoke about this, where he said his biggest frustration as a manager was not being able to manage himself, or something along those lines, which was, you know, largely a, a nod to his own ego about what a great player he was. But like Cruyff has said, similar. I think Roy Keane, even though not the same caliber player as those two, still a great player. He had similar issues as a manager. Um, I, I think they they do struggle when players can't do what they did. Now Ollie's a different case, obviously at. At United he was never a great player but he is a club legend considering the goals he scored this is my biggest concern with Xavi going back to Barcelona is that I think the the weight of expectation the, the weight of the name that you carry I think puts a lot of pressure on a player like for example if Gerrard got the Liverpool job in the summer I think he'd crumble under the pressure now that's nothing against Gerard who I think is, is mentally very tough but He's this—he's Stephen Gerrard. Like, people will expect him to be as good a manager as he is, was a player. And early evidence is he's not. He's not even close. He may well become a good manager. But right now, he's just a decent manager doing a good job in Scotland. I think clubs should avoid, unless there's been a sizeable gap, and they've done really well elsewhere and proven themselves el- elsewhere. I think it can often end in tears. Like if you look at Conte going to Juve, Juve were in a bad spot at the time. They'd just been promoted back up a couple of years beforehand. They were rebuilding. It wasn't going all that well. They had a lot of hit and miss transfers. I think getting him in at that point was was okay because he was on the up as well. Simeone the same. Atleti weren't a top team. And he had proven himself in South America and done very well winning a couple of titles in Argentina. He'd shown he could win. Like there is examples like Zidane who just took over and immediately won three championships. They were a great team. You know, Kenny took over a great team as well. George Graham did really well at Arsenal. Um, Ragav with a great shout there. Vincente del Bosch. He took over at Real Madrid, obviously having played for them in the 70s and 80s great manager great great manager so sometimes it does work but I do think more often than not it, it 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 doesn't work because you just you need everything to go right like let's let's say for Manchester United I mean the the, the funny thing is none of the Ferguson players who went to become managers have actually become particularly good managers Like, Hughes is a mediocre manager. Bruce is a mediocre manager. Ince was a bad manager. Ollie's a bad manager. Neville was a bad manager. Phil Neville's uh, mediocre at best. Um, Trying to think of who else there might be. Keane was an okay manager. Did well at Sunderland to begin with. And then, obviously, not so well at Norwich. Or at Ipswich, rather. Um, Haven't seen enough of gigs to know... There's no good manager that's come from that that Ferguson era. I suppose a lot of it is the schooling that they get and and the thing is you look at you look at Zidane and you look at Pep and they both spent time in the academies managing before they made the jump. And I think that did help them. You had Capello was also an assistant at AC Milan before he took over. Del Bosch had been working in the, um, in the Real Madrid academy as a manager, as a coach, for 12 years or so before he took over the senior team. He, he was ingrained in the club. He was known around the club, so maybe in that regard, maybe it can work a lot better than just transplanting someone in from somewhere else, um, who's you know who's got the clout because he was there before as a player. Like if Lampard had been working as the academy coach at Chelsea for a couple of years, and then got promoted, maybe that would have worked better. But for me, I, I would generally avoid it. Uh, Barnsey asks if Liverpool received a one hundred and fifty pound offer for Salah and a. An 85 million offer for Mane. Would you accept both or either? I would accept 85 million for Sadio Mane. And I would turn around and immediately try to buy Federico Chiesa. I would offer all of that plus another 15, another 20 for Chiesa. Because I think he's that good. Um, I don't think there's a figure that would convince me to sell Salah. I genuinely don't. Like, there's part of me that thinks if you could sell him and get Haaland, and then you've got Haaland for the long term, but you're not going to have Haaland for the long term because his agent is Mino, and Mino's going to want to prick about and cause trouble. Every 18 months, he's going to want a new contract. And rumours are he already wants half a million a week. So I, I would say keep Salah, sell Mane, and try and buy Chiesa. Uh, AMK2889 what's a more impressive and harder harder path for a manager to take getting your first job at a historic club with close to endless money and already having world class players like Pep and Zidane who prove they can handle the egos as well as the ownership that demands success or being a manager at a mid-sized club um, with decent money and building a powerhouse like Pep did at Porto Or the Jurgen Klopp path, starting in a smaller team within the league with close to no money, no history, a few to no star players, and developing your way up. I think the Klopp path is the hardest path to take. Like, I don't think Pep Guardiola could manage, I think there's about six clubs in Europe. Juventus, both Milan's, No, there's probably 10 clubs in Europe Pep could manage. Real, he wouldn't go to, but he could manage there. Barca, obviously. I don't think he could work at Atletico Madrid. I don't think he'd work there. Uh, Juventus, Inter and Milan, I think he would be fine. PSG, obviously. Bayern, obviously. But he couldn't manage Dortmund. And in the Premier League, I think it's only City, Chelsea and United that he could work at. And obviously, he wouldn't go to United now, having managed City. So, whereas you look at, and I think Zidane is the same, I think Zidane would only work at similar clubs. You look at Klopp, you could put Klopp at any club. I think you could put Klopp at Norwich, and he could do okay. Now, he wouldn't win anything, but he'd get them to mid-table. He'd build something there. You put him with Everton, I think he could make them a top-four team. You put him with Liverpool, he's made them a title winner. You give him the City or Chelsea job, and I think he dominates European football for four or five years. I I think Pep is limited. I think Pep is amazing, but I think he's limited in the clubs he can manage. Whereas I think Klopp could manage anybody. I think it's harder for Klopp to get to where he is right now than it has been for Pep, who obviously got got handed the Barcelona job and got handed Messi, Iniesta, Xavi, Puyol, Piquet, Dani Alves, etc., etc., etc. He did incredible work there, but he was very, very fortunate with the situation he walked into. He went to Bayern, who just won a European travel. He inherited a great team and he bought great players to go into it. He took over a City team that had already won multiple league titles before he took over. Had an existing strong squad. And if we're going to be really critical, I would say they have gotten worse the longer he's been there. Now, his first few years, first year wasn't great. Year two and three, they were incredible. 17, 18, 18, 19, they were unbelievably good. And that was the pinnacle of Pep post Messi. But they're not as good now as they were. And the more players he's bought and the more of the core he inherited moves on, I think they've gotten weaker. And as De Bruyne starts to age and doesn't look quite as good this year, now I'm sure he will find form, but he didn't buy Kevin De Bruyne. He didn't buy Raheem Sterling. And they're the two best players of his tenure thus far. He didn't buy Aguero or Silva or Company or Fernandinho, and they were absolutely key to what he accomplished in those two great seasons. So. I would say it's harder for Klopp, but I also think it means you end up a more rounded manager where I think Klopp can go anywhere. I look at Simeone. Now, he started off, obviously, I think his first job, if I'm not mistaken, was a student. It was, was, no, it was Racing Club. Dennis Estudiantes, who wouldn't be, you know, they're not Boca or River Plate. They're not a small club by any any stretch, but they're in the second tier. They're your Everton, they're your Aston Villa, they're your Spurs or Arsenal. They're a second tier outside of you know the 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 clubs that you expect to win every season. And he won a league title there. Then he got the River Plate job. Then he went to San Lorenzo, a smaller club. Then he went to Catania, back to racing club. So he'd been through the grind for five years. Um, hilariously managed six teams in that time. But by the time he got to Atletico Madrid, he was well-rounded as a coach. Didn't have the experience of Klopp going to Dortmund, obviously. But I think he's taken Atletico further than Klopp took Dortmund. I think what he's done there is, is, is sensational. But I think you could put him to any club. And I think he would do incredible work. Um, you look at Conte. He first got his managerial break at Arezzo then he was at Bari then at Atlanta but not this Atlanta a different a different club almost compared to what where they were back then and um Siena so he'd had five jobs sorry four jobs before getting the Juve job he was well rounded as a coach he had ideas about what he wanted to do he'd been through the battles and the wars he'd worked with lower caliber players I think by the time he got to Juve, he was, you know, and Juve weren't ideal when he walked in. They hadn't been successful in five years before he got there. I think he was ready, though, to take them on. And what he did there, I would compare to what Klopp did at Dortmund. Even though Juve were a bigger club at the time, they were on a low. And, and Dortmund were on a low when Klopp took over as well. Dortmund were a huge club before Klopp and will be a huge club, you know, for many years after Klopp is gone. Um I think you look at Conte, Simeone and Klopp I would rather if I didn't have all the money I would take them over Pep every time. I think they are the top four managers in the world. I'd look at Allegri as another one who I think could go into any club and have success and I think if you look at Allegri's career um I mean he was 7 years into management when he took over at Milan he had been to five different clubs. He'd been around, he'd been up and down divisions, he'd seen relegation battles. I think it hardened them. I think that's I think managers like like him, Klopp, Conte, Simeone are more adaptable. I think you can parachute them in and they'll make things work. As long as the club is competent. Which is why I wouldn't take Conte at United now, because they're not competent. Um But yeah, I I think that that path is harder and I think it's better for the manager in the long term. Uh, Shamik, what's your new Twitter handle? Don't have one, I'm using the EPL index one. Um, Keep Yuppie, if Conte did take over, what would it mean for Cristiano? Would he drop him for Cavani? I think he'd play the two of them in the interim because I think he'd want to play two up front. He'll want a nine, an out-and-out nine, so that would be Cavani. The problem is Cavani would have to do all the running. I think it would end in tears. I think it would end in absolute tears. Conte at United, genuinely. Um, Delangstar, what is the most shocking thing you could imagine for Liverpool to do in terms of the transfer market, buying and selling in the next four windows? Selling would be Salah. It would it would shock me if they sold Salah. It genuinely would. Buying. Uh, jude bellingham uh, jude bellingham is going to be 80 to 100 million in 2023 probably uh, and i would be shocked if liverpool bought him even though i know they do have strong interest next question is fox's fox eight more talk of bellingham do you think liverpool would play the required fee i don't i don't think they would play it would pay the required fee um, I would love to be wrong on this. I would genuinely love to be wrong on this. Um, Dunno96, two questions. If Klopp does go when his contract expires, who do you realistically see coming in? Um, I mean, it... Depending on what he does in the interim, Potter will probably be on the list. Um, I think Ten Hag could find himself on the list. Nagelsman, Marco Rose. If things go really well at Leverkusen, Gerardo Sione. Jesse Marsh, maybe. I would love to see Conte or Simeone, obviously, because you know, they're two of the top four managers in the world and I think they carry on with the success and, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of... Like, if you look at this Liverpool team, you could easily imagine this Liverpool team under Conte or Simeone. Um, Conte's going to play a back three. Well, Liverpool could line up with a back three of Joe Gomez, Canate or Matip and Van Dijk. Uh, you'd You'd want I would want to upgrade on Gomez. I'd prefer to bring in a Jules Conde, but Gomez is absolutely fine. You go Trent at right wing back, Robertson at left wing back. Two in midfield uh, would be Fabinho and Thiago. I think he'd be very happy with that. And then he'll play a 3-4-3. Three, three. So three up front, Mane, uh, Firmino, Salah, Mane, Jota, Salah, whatever you want to do, that's absolutely fine. You could see this Liverpool team as currently constructed playing under Conte. Simeone, now I know he's pricked about his formation this year and he's playing a three at the back. I've just been through that. You could do that, no problem. He might want to play the, the 3-1-4-2. I think that's fine. You drop Firmino or Mane out of the front three and you bring in one more in midfield. Uh, Curtis Jones, perhaps. Uh, and Naby Keita, perhaps. Fabinho plays behind the line of four. Trent, Thiago, Naby or Curtis and um and Robertson. But one signing, you want one in midfield really to make that work with with Tiago and Fabinho. Uh, I think that works. I don't I don't think either would need to do massive, massive surgery on the team if if Simeone wanted to play as 4-4-2. Well we know Liverpool have a great back four. Uh, Mane off the left, I think would absolutely be, be tremendous. That four for two of his, remember, is a boxy midfield where the right sided one plays really narrow and opens the channel for the right back. So Nabi could play that right sided role. And then again, Thiago and Fabinho, and then two up front would be Sala and whoever, Jota or Firmino. Um, I also think he quite like the, you know, the chance to work with some of these players. Um, so I think either of them can be can walk in and immediately put their stamp on this group. Um, but I don't think it'll be either of them. I, I think it'll likely be from the Potter, Nagelsmann, Rose, Ten Hag type of group, depending on who's available and who's out there. Um who would be in your 11 for Premier League one season wonders? Amir Zaki has to be leading the line. Um, Amir Zaki and Michu I think would have to lead the line here I think they're the type who had great seasons great great seasons as goal scorers in the Premier League but um, not particularly tremendous players Um, right let me think I recall Michael Ricketts having a really good season as well um, for maybe Bolton. But uh, we leave him out. I will go... Jersey Dudek would be my goalkeeper because I think his first season at Liverpool, he was the best keeper in the league. He was still a good keeper after that. But remember he threw in those goals against United and it didn't go all that well. Do you know, he would be my goalkeeper this is hard. this is hard off the top of my head. I'll tell you what I'll do. I, I don't have a prediction show for tomorrow because we myself and Guy did a tad predictable this week again as Todiwa continues to flaunt his way around the world or whatever it is he's doing. Um I will put together my one season wonder eleven for tomorrow. Now some of it could be subjective because, you know, I'm gonna suggest that Laurent Kishalny had one good season. And that's why he's in my team as a centre-back. And others will say, oh, but he was very good for his duration. And the the fact is, he wasn't. He was very, very poor for most of his time, but had one good season. Uh, Dejan Lovren would be in there. He had half a good season. He's a half-season wonder. So I'll do that tomorrow, if that's okay. Um, Let me see. KR99, a question for the Two-Footed Podcast. Who's the one bang average Liverpool, a bang average player you relieved Liverpool dodged a bullet on? Uh, for example, Sylvian Marveau and Carlton Cole under the Hodge, to name a few. Um, Carl Matchett has responded, Ashley Williams. And I would agree, Ashley Williams would be there. Uh, KO99 throws forward the names of Jean-Allen Boomsong. Um, yeah, I mean... It's remarkable, though, the career that Boomsong had when you consider he wasn't very good. So he came through at La Havre, then he went to Auxerre, and him and Philippe Mexes were the centre-backs there, and we were linked with both of them under Julier. I believe we came quite close to signing Philippe Mexes. He didn't become the defender he was meant to be either. But he went to Rangers, then Newcastle, then having been dreadful at Newcastle, went to Juventus. Now, this was... Uh, Post Calcio Pole relegated Newcastle. uh not Newcastle. Juventus, um, Serie B. Then he went to Leon, and then Panikonithos. Who you know, they're a huge club in Greece, but they're rarely uh, an actual title winner in Greece. They're probably the third biggest team or third best team in Greece after Olympiakos and AEK Athens. But um. I've always had a soft spot for Panic and Ithos. I've always, I've always quite liked them. But yeah, like he had an incredible career. like played 27 times for France. And he just wasn't very good at all. But it, it is Ashley Williams. Because Brendan Rogers tried to move heaven and earth to get him to the club. And he was painfully bad. Uh, others that Brendan tried to bring in. Uh, Michelle Vorm. Leon Britton. Uh, Alan Tate. Uh, Scott Sinclair, uh, basically all the bad players that he'd had at um at uh, at Swansea, a bad player, bad players is harsh. They were decent players for Swansea. They weren't, weren't good enough for us. Um, I, I'll have to go with Carl. I'll have to say Ashley Williams here because my God, he was a stinker, an absolute stinker of a centre back. Uh, last question then. Carlton Cole is a great shout though, Carlton. No, you know who it is? It's Luke Young. Luke Young is the answer here. Luke Young turned us down, I believe, to join QPR. It could have been to leave QPR. Luke Young turned us down to join QPR. Yeah. Luke Young. Or was it to stay at Villa? Yes, sorry, it was to stay at Villa. In July 2010 Liverpool and Villa agreed a fee of 2.5 million for Young, but he turned down the offer. He later revealed he turned down the chance to move to Liverpool saying he had more chance of getting in the first team at Villa than he did at Liverpool. Liverpool's right back at the time was Glenn Johnson who was awful, and he said he had a feeling he was going to be the backup at left back and right back and of course the left back we signed that summer was Paul Konchesky. Woeful woeful that summer transfer window will haunt me forever including the presence that rafa Benitez left behind um if you were a 22 year old footballer which agent or agency would you choose to represent you Uh, i would pick mino rayola because no matter what you think of him no matter what i think of him no matter what clubs think of him Mino always does what he does for the good of the player and sometimes it's to get himself attention as well, it's not a bad thing but Mino goes to war for his players, like he gets up every day, straps on the armour and heads out to war every single day and will take on clubs for the good of his own players and doesn't care who he offends Um, I, I, would, go with, I would go with Mino because it would just be fun it would just be fun to watch him um Also, what one college football game and what one college basketball game would you like to go to if you had the chance? Assuming it is a rivalry game, which home stadium would you rather watch the game at? So, in college football, I'll do basketball first because I've actually got a few in college football. In college basketball, I think I'd love to go to... um North Carolina against Duke. I really would. Or Duke. I really would. I'd love to see that, that game. I'd love to see that at Chapel Hill. But I think Kentucky against Duke is the one I'd want to go to. I think that would be the one I'd pick. Um, in college football, there's a whole bunch. So, I'd love to go and see Ohio State against Michigan um, at the Big House in Michigan. Now, both stadiums are incredible, but I think I'd rather see it at the big house. I would love to go to Miami the University of Miami against Notre Dame in South Bend. Um I, I would love to see that. The the rivalry of, you know, was it convicts versus Christians? Um I'd love to go and see that. And I know it's not as big a rivalry anymore, but I would still love to go to one of those games. Um, I'd love to go to the Red River. I'd love to go and see Texas against Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. I'd love to go see Bama against LSU. Um, in LSU, in in the, what's it called, Death Valley. Um, I think those would be the ones. I think those would be the ones for me. I'd like to go to Clemson against Florida State. I know it's not a big rivalry, but I, I've all I, I I have huge admiration for Dabo Sweeney and what he's done. I think he's built an amazing program at Clemson, and the pre-match at Florida State it just looks class. It looks great, something you'd really enjoy being part of in, in, the, in the atmosphere. So I'd like to go to that as well. I think if I had to pick. I can't pick one. The the two I would pick would be Ohio State versus Michigan and Bama LSU. They'd be the two that stand out above the rest for me. Though that Texas Oklahoma one as well. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll stick to the other two: OSU versus Michigan and and Bama versus LSU. They'd be the two um, in in the Big House or in in that Valley. Um, yeah. I love college football. I, I I would rather watch college football than the NFL. I know the, the caliber is not quite the same, obviously, but there's just something fascinating to me about college football, about, about everything to do with the recruitment process, the player development, just the, the obsession with it, especially in the South. Um, and I think when you see coaches like... Nick Saban and, and Dabo Sweeney and what they've done, and Brian Kelly, obviously as well. I, I just think you know you, you're seeing guys that are gods in, in their programs, absolute gods, and could go anywhere they want and demand all the money. So I'm going to leave it there for today. Uh, I hope that hope that answers your question, Chris. Um, I will answer Dunno's question of a Premier League one, a one season wonder tomorrow. If you have any more questions, throw them in for tomorrow because. What else am I going to talk about? I might, I might talk about Man United a bit more. Uh, maybe we'll have more on that West Ham takeover, and obviously there might be some other bits and pieces. But we'll we'll fill a show. Be be of be under no doubt we will fill a show tomorrow. Uh, take care of yourselves. Have a good evening. Bye bye. Network.